Good afternoon, Risen Hope. <laughs> it's such a pleasure to be with you all here today. Um, as our time together draws to a close at the end, end of this year, I've been coming to cherish more and more the times that we've been able to spend together. The fellowship that I have enjoyed with you all over the course of this past year has truly been a sweet taste of what heaven will be like. Yeah, so what will happen in 2022 remains a mystery for a lot of us. But there is one thing that does remain the same. There is a rock, a sure foundation, a confident hope, a comfort in all of our affliction, a stable place in all confusion, an instruction in life and grace to our every need. And I'm talking about the Word of God. If you've been with us these past couple weeks, you know that we are going through a series on the pillars of our church, and they are four. The first is the centrality of Christ. The second is the sufficiency of Scripture. The third is the family of faith. And the fourth is love where you live. And today we will be talking about the second pillar, sufficiency of Scripture. So now the Bible, what I have right here, is not like any other book. For those who haven't read the Bible before or are not as familiar with it, um, some might think that the Bible is full of stories that are designed to teach us a good moral lesson. Um, other people might think that the Bible is full of a list of rules that we follow in order to inherit internal life. And still other people think that the Bible is um, some, simply a set of comforting statements that someone wrote to comfort us when we go through hard times in life. However, the testimony of all believers who have read the Bible, both now and for thousands of years, has been that this book is truly of God. It is not, written, it is not simply the ideas of men. The Bible contains unfathomably deep mysteries about the reality of God and of the existence of humankind. It exposes the heart of the reader as though the book were reading you. And its words are beautiful, not as a beautiful picture that someone would draw, but a beauty as if you were glancing into something that is so far beyond yourself. Now, much can be said about the historicity of Scripture, or about the canon of Scripture, or about the inerrancy of Scripture. These are all uh, interesting doctrines that I encourage any of you to look into. There's a lot of work about those topics. But today, we're going to be talking about the sufficiency of Scripture, which is the truth that Scripture is sufficient. So with that, let's pray together before I open up the scripture. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for bringing us here together today to worship you. You are so, so good to us. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and understand your word today. Please lead us in understanding. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope that you do, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20. And again, if you've been with us these past few weeks, you know that we are going through a book of the Bible called Acts, or Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is the story about how the message of Jesus spread after his death and resurrection across the early world and formed the first churches. These local communities formed of believers that were called churches, and people rose up to lead and shepherd these, um, these communities. The book also tells us about a man named Paul, who God appointed to be a leader of the church and to travel from place to place and plant other churches. So in the passage, in the passage that we will read today, Paul is at a fateful point in his journey. 
he's about to depart from a city called Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, where he had spent the past three years with a church. And he realizes that this might be the very last time that he sees these believers face-to-face. So knowing this, we read Paul's final words to these believers in Acts chapter 20. So let's read together Acts 20, verses 17 through 32. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And going on, he says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone, gone out about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. So when we speak about the sufficiency of Scripture, we're talking about Scripture being sufficient for a purpose. But what is that purpose for which Scripture is sufficient? If I handed you $100 and I asked you, is this sufficient? It would depend on what you need the money for. You would probably just say yes and, th- and say thank you. But if it's, I'm giving you the money to buy provisions for a single day, then maybe that money is sufficient. But if that $100 is to last for a whole journey, then maybe it's not sufficient. At this moment in the passage, Paul recognizes that his own journey is coming to a crossroads where he must depart from the believers in Ephesus. And he realizes that great difficulty lies ahead of him. But Paul was not a man who wandered about life aimlessly. Rather, he was a man who was on a mission, and that mission was something given to him by God. In verse 24, we read what Paul thinks about his own life. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And just like Paul was on his journey, we are also on our own journeys. And if we have decided to follow Jesus, then the journey that we are on is not an ordinary journey. 
It is a journey that is given to us by the Lord. We might not be at a point in that journey where we can look back and understand the significance of every decision we make or of the circumstances that have come to us or the things that we do. But Scripture does make it clear that God has a path and a plan for every believer. To give a couple examples of this, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we read that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, when we have been born again anew in Christ and are given this new life, God has in mind good things that he um, apportioned in his mind that this believer should do and that that believer should do. Another example is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, where we, are just, where we are told to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and to run with endurance the race that is set before us. And a final instance of this, which is a bit amusing, is in the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. If you're familiar with the story, this is a conversation between Jesus and Peter, where Jesus is explaining to Peter the death that Peter will have to undergo to glorify God and the end point of Peter's journey. And immediately upon hearing this, um, this prophecy about his own life, Peter turns to the Lord and points to another disciple and says, Lord, what about him? And to this, Jesus responds, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, I have a path for him and I have a path for you. You just worry about the path that I have for you. There's no need to compare. So in Christ, we have a calling to fulfill, to do both what is commanded in Scripture for every believer to, to obey, but also the specific work that God would have us do in our generation, in the place that we live. And it is for this purpose that we say that Scripture is sufficient. Paul recognized that Scripture was sufficient, and that is the reason why he ends this whole um, speech by saying in verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. As I speak these words, some of us already know in our heart what that thing is that God is asking us to do at this moment. It is a clear matter to us. To those, I exhort you to do the thing. Do the ministry that God has given you to do. Do what is in front of you that is so clear and don't hesitate to do it. But for others of us, it's not very clear at this moment what is the purpose of our lives, why God has us on this earth. For those, my encouragement is this. God's will is in every single moment. In this moment, God desires that your heart would be open to him. That today, if you hear his voice, you would not harden your heart. As we trust him and obey him in the commands that he gives to us all, we will be preparing ourselves as vessels that are fit for every good work, and are ready when God, get, when God does call us. And I pray for each of us that as we continue to follow the Lord, at the right time, he would make known to us the purpose that he has for us and fulfill that purpose. So not only is scripture sufficient to keep God's people, we also see from this passage how critically important scripture is and nece necessary it is. We don't have a pillar called the necessity of Scripture, but it's kind of implied insufficiency of Scripture. Part of Paul's calling was the proclamation of the Word of God, which is, has become Scripture. In verses 26 through 27 of the passage, 
the way he describes this calling of preaching the word of God tells us a lot about how scripture should be viewed. Verses 26 through 27 says, says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, in the flow of this passage, Paul is saying his final goodbyes to heartfelt friends that really have endeared themselves to his heart, and it is easily the last time that he will see them face to face. So in this context, I find verses 26 through 27 to be quite a shock in the flow of the passage. We might have expected Paul to say something more lighthearted or something easier to receive, but Paul was not saying goodbye as a high schooler would say goodbye to his friends by signing his yearbook. He didn't say, I'll miss you, I'll pray for you, or have a great summer. No, rather he was incredibly sober in his tone, and we wonder why. This is because delivering the word of God to these people, he viewed that as an incredibly weighty ministry. His reference to being innocent of the blood of all alludes to God's words to the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 33. In that passage, God is speaking to Ezekiel, a man that he has set apart to proclaim the word of God, and he gives an analogy to him. He says that a man who is set apart to proclaim my words is like a man who is sitting at the watchtower over the city. When he sees an army coming to the city and sounds the alarm, and if the people in the city do not, they hear the alarm but do not take warning, and they are come and killed by the sword, then their blood is on their own heads. But if the watchman sees the army coming and does not sound the alarm, and the army comes and the sword takes the people in the village, then they will die, but their blood will be required at the watchman's hand. In the same way, as God entrusts to us the message of the word of God, which calls all men to depart from their sins and to believe in the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. And even when that message means that we must speak correction to others, to people who we dearly love, we must be faithful to speak. Amen. So why does the word of God come with such weight? Why is it so crucial? Is it really such a high-stakes situation? As we read on in verses 28 through 30, Paul addresses the leaders of the church he's leaving behind by saying these words. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert." Verse 28, where God calls his people his flock, it speaks to the preciousness of the church to God. These are people that God loves, and in the world, there's nothing more precious to him than his people, than his church. If, as parents, you know how precious your own children are to you, or if, as a married person, you know how precious your husband or wife is to you, then maybe you've begun to understand just a little bit of how precious the church is to God. These things are given to us as signs so that we can understand how beloved we are in God's sight and also how great his wrath will be on those who oppose and oppress his people. So it is with this jealous zeal that Paul charges the leaders to care for the church of God. 
And it is from this heart that he exalts scripture as the worthy thing that is able to keep the church. Years after this conversation that Paul has with the leaders of the church in Ephesus, he wrote letters to his child in the faith, Timothy, who would come to oversee those same churches in Ephesus. These would become the books 1 and 2 Timothy in our Bibles. So as I read excerpts from these letters, please notice how central Paul how centrally Paul places the word of God in the hearts and the health of the churches. For these letters contain some of Paul's most sobering words that he gives in scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded and endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, the reason why Paul took sound doctrine so seriously in the churches was not so that he could maintain power and control over the people. And also the purpose of sound doctrine is not so that you can win an argument or be in the right. Rather, the meaning of the word sound in that phrase sound doctrine is actually health. Health is the essence of the goodness and wholeness and life in a person and in a community, in a precious community to God. Paul makes this clear when he writes this in his opening words of his first letter to Timothy, where he gives the reason why he is so, so emphatic about the preaching of the word of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So from this verse, we see that where the word of God is treasured and held fast, there will be an abundance of love and purity of heart and good conscience and sincere faith. So in this journey where many dangers abound, where can God's precious and chosen people look? How can we endure and what will preserve us to the end? Many of us are at these branching points in the paths in which we walk. Things will be different in 2022. Some of us will move to new places. Some of us will find new church communities. And, the love, and we will love God in doing the specific things that God has called us to do. And every week when we look around and see each other's faces on Saturday and also throughout the week, we can testify in our hearts how precious our neighbors are in the sight of God, both to God and to our own selves. And all the while, as these precious people are on this journey, our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Sin is ever deceitful and ready to harden our heart against the Lord, and the sufferings of this life are ever-present and ready to overwhelm us if we walk alone. Yet, from the word of God, we know that we have a glorious hope. 
Our paths, though they may part momentarily, will meet again in heaven. And in the new Jerusalem, we will enjoy God and glorify him forever in victory and everlasting peace. In light of these things, let us pray. Let us hold fast to God and to his word. Let us pray for one another in the same. If we are finding a new church community, then let us find one that holds true to the word of God. And if we do depart from one another, let us entrust one another, as Paul did, to God and to the sufficiency of Scripture. As Paul says, closing this passage in Acts 20, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, you have chosen us as your own from out of darkness, out of the world, and into your marvelous light. Lord, we love you and we are forever thankful for the gift of Jesus and his sacrifice for us on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would keep us as we go on this journey in the path that you have set before us. I pray that our lives could be lives that are founded on the rock of your word, as doers and not hearers only. God, I pray that you'd help us to come to love your word more and more each day. And God, as we read, I pray that you'd open it up to us that we may, so that we may behold wonderful and beautiful things. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.